0: Another busy day, time for a break, meet you in the Tea Room. The Tea Room is the podcast for GPs, where we delve into what matters most to you. Leading edge research, new treatment pathways, medical politics, and how to build a better practice. Each week, we share a cuppa with experts who spill the tea on what's hot in general practice right now. From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me. I'm curious, have you referred anyone to a long COVID clinic? And if so, how long did the patient have to wait for their consultation? The demand for Sydney's St. Vincent's Long COVID Clinic is so high, patients are waiting many months to see the long COVID team. But what if you, as a GP in a modest suburban or rural practice, what if you were to set up your own long COVID clinic? Because that's exactly what Dr. James Zang has done at Shire Family Medical Practice in Sutherland, south of Sydney. He's joining us today in the tea room to explain how the clinic works and why he believes GPs are perfectly placed to manage the treatment of this nebulous condition. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Zang. Tell us a little bit maybe to start with about your clinical background.
1: So I am a GP I fellowed just last year, but I also have been the senior clinician at the St. Vincent's Virtual Hospital COVID unit back in September last year, all the way to July this year. And so, I had an opportunity to meet a lot of great staff and people who are very compassionate and managing a lot of anxious, worried, vulnerable patients with COVID at the time. Um, And it was in that process that I got a lot more into the long COVID because I got to meet the great Anthony Burns and uh, Prof. Stephen Foe, in the work that they were doing with Long COVID. And so, since then, I've been a little bit more interested in management of Long COVID, as well as just undertaking other projects for quality improvement with St Vincent's.
0: And you've got a GP clinic in Sutherland, south of Sydney?
1: That's correct. So, I work with Dr. Franks, who's the main senior GP, and I've partnered with him back in August to help start up this long COVID clinic because I noted that there was an issue with the fact that there isn't much being done about long COVID. And the inspiration to starting up this long COVID clinic was as I had the chance to sit in and with the MDTs, the multidisciplinary team meetings at the St. Vincent's long COVID clinic when they started it up. And it was a fantastic work that they were doing. And, you know, it was a team of rehab physicians with specialists, mental health, and physiotherapists. And they were very thorough and very good at what they were doing. But they were also, their waiting list is blown out to July next year for a first appointment. And that was last I checked a few months ago. So I imagine that could be even more since then. And to my understanding, there aren't really any other long COVID treatment clinics or anything that's really advertised in Sydney. And, the work that they were doing, a lot of what I could see is these are things that I as a GP could easily do. You know, sitting down with a patient, going through their whole history, journeying with them and caring them from a holistic standpoint and coordinating their care in that multidisciplinary team. I definitely thought in my mind it was, well, we as GPs can do this. So, And they're already stretched thin as it is. So, the least we could do is handle all the cases that genuinely can be managed by a VGP and maybe leave more complex cases to the ones in the hospital. As my wife tells me, she says, I'm a very bothered person. And I just tell her that in reply, well, usually whatever bothers me happens to bother a lot of other people. And I usually have a bit more of a drive in and know how to try and deal with that issue accordingly.
0: <laughs> so you collaborate with other specializations, allied health quite a bit through your long COVID clinic in Sutherland.
1: That's Correct. So, Shire Family has been able to collaborate and partner up with the local mental health psychologists, uh, as well as with exercise physiologists and physiotherapists. So, they're happy to take referrals specifically from us with our management plans to deal with the post-acute sequelae symptoms of COVID-19, and that's what we would put in the management plan. Um, We also have a respiratory physician who is happy to take referrals from us once we've done appropriate initial workup of the patient with bloods and imaging, if they have any particular marked respiratory symptoms. And we also have partnered up with one of the local cardiologists and their practice for any sort of cardiac symptoms and needing workup if they have sort of myocarditis, pericarditis symptoms for um, echocardiograph workup and general cardi- cardiovascular health maintenance.
0: So they're sort of, I guess, the three prominent symptoms that we're seeing in long COVID, the respiratory, the cardiovascular Issues and fatigue, are they the, is that correct in your experience?
1: Hmm. I'd say the respiratory and the cardiac may be less, the respiratory, yes. The cardiac, maybe not as much, but it would be one of those symptoms that clearly needs additional help. But I do think the fatigue, the dyspnea, breathlessness sort of symptom, and brain fog are probably the most common symptoms that we see in this long COVID clinic.
0: So who do you ally with? around brain fog? Is there a neurologist or?
1: Yeah, it's so very nebulous because it's so multifaceted. I mean...
0: That is the word that we are hanging long COVID onto. It is nebulous.
1: And I think the research from the ASHM conference in July said, well, I think the last 100 years are coming back to bite us because I don't think we've just researched post-viral fatigue, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia in general very well and I think long COVID almost is in that sort of similar family of post-illness. There's just a lot of pathophysiology that we don't fully have a clear idea of, and the fact that we haven't really spent much time and invested into researching that proper means it's kind of just a very unknown field for a lot of us right now. Because, yeah, brain fog could be due to an underlying genuine pathology, maybe some post-immunological dysregulation. It could be due to poor sleep. It could be due to mental health. It could be just general deconditioning. It's such a very broad term.
0: Very true. could be due to menopause.
1: Hmm, That's right. And you have to then factor in all the other general health things that are coming into play that may be interplaying with their COVID illness. So, things like menopause, things like even just general cardiovascular health maintenance diabetes renal function and kidney disease all of that can get affected from covid itself and there's a the research does seem to suggest that there is a how badly your kidney and diabetes can be affected is proportional to the severity of illness that you experienced and we know that with the strains prior to omicron that will that that generally did warrant a more severe illness. We are starting to see the effects of that. I think one of the nephrologists in that conference commented how it aged your kidney by four years from having COVID because there's a drop in about four or five points of your EGFR at the time.
0: When we're talking about a GP taking on the idea of setting up a long COVID clinic. I think it probably is shifting some thinking around long COVID, it's so nebulous, you know, we need a special clinic attached to a hospital to manage it. But from what you're saying, a lot of the processes that are important for a patient can be done by a GP who has a referral pathway to specialists.
1: That's correct. I think there are two two aspects that come to mind with why we as GPs should be the most equipped and suited to handling COVID. And the inspiration is, again, from the time I was working in the virtual hospital at St. Vincent's. Like It was a great team of nurses, doctors, allied health, who are all very compassionate and caring. And you have a lot of anxious, worried patients with COVID. And even though a lot of their symptoms, um, they're very real to them, Uh, From our point of view as a clinician, it's very easy to just go, you know what, it's just a sore throat and you're just having a bit of cough and chest tightness, which is all part and parcel of COVID. It was the fact that we took the time to journey with them and give them the assurance that you know, even though we're not seeing you face-to-face, even though I can't do much more than manage some of your symptoms and do the best we can to optimize your health, the fact that we are there for you and we're going to journey with you through this for better or worse to get you through this, I think made a huge difference for the outcomes of the patients that we looked after. And I would personally like to take pride that our unit did receive the highest patient satisfaction score in during the hospital accreditation for the whole hospital. So, clearly, we're doing something right there. So, I think the compassion mm-hmm. and the journeying part, I think, is what we have the advantage of as a GP, because you know, if you have any problems, you can always just do a telehealth conf- uh, appointment with us. You can come and see us when you need to, when a hospital may not have that sort of benefit to have a regular contact with a patient if they have a concern. And the other thing is that coordination of care. So we mm. as GPs, we have the ability to reach out to various allied health. We can draft up mental health care plans to get them the appropriate mental health care that they need. We have the ability to do the GP management care plan to coordinate which allied health people that they need to see. And it's also about taking things very holistically when we're also factoring in things like how's their diabetes being managed in this period of time? How's their asthma being managed post-COVID? Because all sorts of things get affected from COVID. And I think the fact that we know their story, we know their history, we can journey with them through a long period of time and we're a lot more readily accessible than the hospital, I think it allows us to, I think that's what makes us advantageous compared to say a hospital-based run clinic.
0: You've mentioned the word compassion a couple of times, which is mm. and reflecting that patient centred care and and the journey that you will you know be with the patient you know throughout. It just occurs to me,
1: mm, definitely.
0: If it just occurs to me that that may not be a financially mm. viable model for a GP clinic that's already kind of. Cut down to the bone. Mm. And I say this carefully because that's exactly, that that compassionate journeying is exactly the kind of care that patients are crying out for and all the information that the Agency for Clinical Innovation in New South Wales Health confirms that that's the kind of care the patients are, are requiring. How does that fit into a funding model for a private practice or, or a GP clinic?
1: Mm, and I can certainly acknowledge the, the pinch and squeeze that GPs in general experience. I think even just in my time in working at hospital, the, the general narrative is always, it's really hard to be compassionate whenever you're short on time or when there's a bit of a financial component to it as well, isn't it? So, the way that we do the funding in our clinic is, well, because we're doing it small scale first, we're just running it off by patients that are known to our practice, but it is more to do with the general running of a practice already. So we have a mixed billing standard consultation model of the practice. And the way we see our patients is we may do just a quick telehealth or a quick 15-minute appointment to first assess their eligibility for long COVID. So making sure that they actually meet the WHO treat definition of they've had COVID three months ago or more than three months ago, and they've had significant symptoms that have been present for two months. And then we get them to do a, the Yorkshire COVID-19 rehabilitation tool questionnaire. That's a validated tool for long COVID management. We're in the process of making that electronic. So it's even more integrated, but we print out the questionnaire and we get them to fill it out prior to the actual workup consultation. And that can be a 30 to 45 minute consultation that we do to do a proper assessment and workout. And we make it so that it's at the clinician's discretion, like with any mixed billing model, on whether we choose to bulk bill that appointment or whether we charge a gap, factoring in their circumstances of you know how long they've been adversely affected by COVID and how that may have affected their finances and ability to work. But it, we're treating it just like any other standard consultation. But then subsequent appointments then may require us to do, say, a mental health care plan or a GP management plan. And I think that's what allows the reimbursement to make it also somewhat worthwhile. Because if you've done that 30, 45-minute consultation and you've done the full proper workup, taken the full history and really taken the time to to work out what their issues are from long COVID and to optimise their health, the subsequent appointments to do the mental health care plan and GP management plan personally doesn't take long at all. It's just more filling in the blanks of those forms from that thorough workup that you've done to begin with.
0: Mm. Are there any bureaucratic barriers to doing this kind of work?
1: Hmm. I mean, given that we're running it as part of what we're doing as in our usual time frame as GPs, not immediately for the day-to-day running of the clinic, perhaps there are issues with advertising long COVID clinics and that whole idea of who takes responsibility as we've been previously discussing. I think there's some difficulty in getting rehabilitation doctors involved, both within hospital, so the short staffing as I've mentioned previously with the long COVID at St. Vincent's, and also privately to do long COVID. So, I think the bulk of coordination does rightly fall on GPs and not the hospital, but I think getting additional specialist care from a rehabilitation point of view is often a little bit of a, a minus. The other thing is, apart from ACI releasing guidelines for the management of long COVID, which is a really, really good resource, and for some webinars for GPs on its management, I don't think there's been a very big major drive for GPs to take issue and take ownership of the issue of long COVID to date. So, the fact that long COVID clinics currently are just run by hospitals and fact that there's a big waiting list for it, makes me wonder if it's one more symptom of how the federal government maybe undervalues GPs and fails to adequately reimburse GPs for the time and holistic care that we're capable of providing when there's clearly a crying need for it, especially that given that long COVID is going to be an increasing epidemic in the coming weeks and months.
0: So, what guidelines are you using in your assessment management of long COVID?
1: Hmm. I found that the ACI guideline, the clinical practice guide for assessment and management of adults with post acute sequelae of COVID 19. It's a bit of a mouthful. I'll, I'll send us, I'll, I'll send, I'll, we'll put the link in, I imagine. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah,
0: we'll put the link in the show notes.
1: It is a very, very helpful guide for just how do you treat the most common symptoms of long COVID. And what sort of potential investigations do you do and what sort of referrals would you consider? So whether you involve an exercise physiology or a dietitian for gastro symptoms or a respiratory physician for their dyspnea or cardiac symptoms because of blood pressure issues or myocarditis, it does a very good job of summarizing the various common symptoms and their the approach that you will take for each. So that would be one of my starting points of just as a general read and overview. Some of the other things would be the Yorkshire COVID-19 Rehabilitation Screening Questionnaire. So that's another validated tool that we would use for quantifying the severity and impact of a patient's symptom. And we use that as their first appointment as a starting point. And then we can then review it again, say three to six months from, from there to see what their progress is like. Other guidelines, in terms of the investigations that I'll do, I guess I draw my inspiration from the St. Vincent's Long COVID Clinic. And so, the blood tests that I would be doing and investigations would be similar to if I was to hypothetically refer a patient to them after my workup. I'll include a link of that as well with um, the St. Vincent's Long COVID Clinic and their investigation requirements.
0: That's great. Thanks. We'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes for you to check into later what are you finding with symptoms with recovery any trends that you've picked up understanding that it's only quite new you've only been running for what a few months now
1: Mm, it's it's very much a personalized approach so there's no one size fits all there's no one magic pill or single treatment that can make everyone better i think it's welcome to long COVID, hey (laughs) <laughs> Basically, so and again, that's why we are the experts in holistic care. I find that dyspnea, worsening of asthma symptoms, and that brain fog are probably the most the prevalent symptoms that occur with long COVID. But rather than just going, oh yeah, you know, we'll get you sent off through to a review with a psychologist and being very dismissive, it's more making sure that the patients have felt heard, that they are validated, because a lot of the treatment is there's a lot of uncertainty and the empathy to make sure that they believe in their debilitating illness is essential but then my role afterwards is then to exclude any other serious ongoing complications and comorbidities and one such example of a patient she had COVID in January this year and she's been having ongoing worsening dyspnea very very easily fatigued even from walking up a flight of stairs she has a background of asthma and she has noticed that she's been taking more puffers as well now, at face value, one could easily say, okay, we just increase your puffers and see how we go. But our role is also to do that big list of investigations to exclude any other pathology. And it turned out when we did her blood tests, she had a big, a whopping big D-dimer on, as a result. And we did a CTPA as a result. And we turned out that she actually had two very small peripheral pulmonary emboli in her lungs. So, that completely changed what we were going to do for her. But it was just, oh... We picked up on that because we actually took the time to acknowledge what was going on and actually made sure that we're trying to exclude serious pathology. And when we're, okay, so this isn't just your asthma has gotten worse, but there is something else that is present. Needless to say, that then Warrad did a referral to the respiratory physician and she's now on anticoagulants for that. But it's just, you never know what you're going to get. and So you want to take a, a very broad approach and a very holistic mindset To what's going on with the patient, what is affecting them the most, and then what other serious pathologies do I need to exclude, and what other general health measures can I optimize with their lifestyle or with their exercise or with their diet and diabetes and things like that.
0: It sounds as though you're quite the advocate for GPs taking on treatment management of long COVID patients.
1: Hmm. I definitely would say so. The inspiration of the starting up the long COVID clinic when I sat in on the MDTs with the rehabilitation physicians, they would spend an hour with the patient and it's like, wow, okay, full credit to the work and thoroughness that they're doing and it's fantastic. But a lot of the issues that they identify and a lot of the management plan is literally just what I could do as a GP. Like not to discredit what they're doing, it's more the fact that it's just easily from a, a volume and quantity of GPs and the demand for what is going on with long COVID, I would argue that it is and should be well within our skill set to even just get that ball rolling, to get the coordination of care present, to work up the investigations. And so also to help our colleagues that are in hospital to actually treat those that may have a lot more complex needs, because there is a component of the GP or we as GPs would should know our patients better and have the capacity to journey with a patient in a more sustained long-term process than than in hospital. So, in my head, it seems almost like a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. Any advice for GPs who might be inspired by the Sutherland Clinic to follow suit and set up their own long COVID clinic?
1: Of course. I think it is, at this point in time, a matter of giving it a go. Of course, we do need to also set ourselves the right expectations. Because I know that often as doctors, we have this unrealistic expectation that we can fix everything. <laughs> and then we have a, have a solution to make the problem go away. But we do need to temper our expectations in regards to treating long COVID because it is similar to things like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. But I do think it is really important for us to have that heart of compassion present to make sure that the patient is heard and to provide them the knowledge and reassurance that there is someone who can holistically care and journey with them because I think that's what the main draw of what we do as GPs, what we can provide on top of the medical knowledge that we have. So I would advise GPs to reach out to their local allied clinics and to their specialists to see if there can be any agreements on referrals because our role is to be the coordinator of an MDT. So reaching out and going, you know, we're thinking of opening up our practice to treating patients with long COVID. Potentially, say our own patients first before we scale up. Are you happy to take referrals from us on that from that from that front? And then also potentially, if they're not as well familiar, whether or not they want to read the ACI guidelines as well to get a bit of an idea of what that may look like with exercise programs or or um, the like. So I definitely think at this point in time it is give it a go because there isn't much happening in the GP space, but I think there's a crying need for it and. I'd like to think it's been extremely rewarding work for the patients that we've looked after to date. And so for that patient who had the peripheral P, she's just incredibly grateful and relieved. She's going, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I've 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 finally taken the steps to get on top of this and to feel heard and to know that there is something that's been genuinely going on that, you know, I I can treat and do. I think there is a lot of reward in the work that we've been doing with examples like that.
0: But Have you had any really big challenges?
1: Since we've only started for the first few months, at this point in time, it's still a very early days trialing and seeing how we go. I guess the challenge right now is also given that there is a bit of a GP shortage. When do we consider going, all right, we're going to expand this and open it up to just the general community? That's a question that I'll be having to discuss with Dr. Franks and the rest of my colleagues at Shy Family on when does one consider upscaling? But my genuine hope is that all GPs may take a little bit of inspiration from just something I'm just humbly doing. I'm a GP at the end of the day like everyone else and just giving it a go to provide the care for patients that genuinely need it and to let the patients that regularly come to you know that we're here for you through Thick or Thin.
0: Thanks so much for sharing all of that, Dr. Zhang. Appreciate your time.
1: It's my absolute pleasure and thank you again for the time.
0: That was Dr. James Zhang from the Long COVID Clinic at Shire Family Medical in Sutherland, New South Wales. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe, leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy@medicalrepublic.com.au. At the Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.